they bought four of our battery packs for that exact um, problem, um, charging electric vehicles, where in one neighborhood, when the first thing is apparently um, when one neighbor buys an EV, like there are, it's, I don't know the exact stat, but like that's hundreds of percent more likely that your neighbors will start buying um, another yeah. EV as well and everybody's following suit. And you know, when a neighborhood, there are 10 uh, people all charging their EVs at home at the same time, that neighborhood grid is also about to block out. Right. So uh, it's because the current transformers and infrastructures can't take that high power draw. So um, for Ottawa Hydro, rather than spending you know, millions of dollars in uprooting the transformers in the current infrastructure, you know, they, they spent a couple hundred thousands of dollars in to right. install a couple batteries to, again, during when everybody's charging their EVs, we can also discharge our batteries so that we can supplement yeah. the grid. Hello and welcome to EV Friendly. I'm Ken Hendricks and this is the podcast for you if you're into uh, engaging conversations about electric vehicles. On today's episode, we are talking with Eddie Chang. Uh, Eddie is a co-founder and CEO of Moment Energy, which is a Vancouver-based clean tech startup uh, creating sustainable and affordable energy systems from repurposing electric uh, batteries from electric vehicles. In 2021, Moment Energy was a recipient of the Advanced Research and Commercialization uh, Program Grant from the Ministry of Energy and Mines, and they were also the grand prize winner of the 2021 National Impact Investor Challenge. Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Great. I always like to begin. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into this market. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I started this company over two and a half years ago. Um, started with my three best friends, so all four of us. Um, so Samreen, uh, Gabe, Gramesh, and myself, Eddie. Um, we all went to Simon Fraser University, um, and we all studied yeah. mechatronic systems engineering out mm -hmm. there. Um, and together, you know, we've been best friends when we just started the company, um, January pre-COVID, um, 2020, pre-COVID. Um, we had been working together for six years already. Um, we worked on things, for example, we all co-founded a Formula Electric race team, so built and designed an electric race car from scratch out there, and, um, and the goal was really just to race our electric vehicles um, mm -hmm. in either long uh, duration challenges or even in speed. Um, now, the moment we were ready, COVID hit, so unfortunately we had to do an online race competition, which was weird, but um, mm -hmm. the team uh, won, which was great, um, cool. on the, um, on the business presentation, which yeah. was pretty cool. Uh, but then through that, like learning about electric vehicles, and then as, for example, Gabe, um, our CTO, he uh, worked at Tesla, Samreen, our COO, um, worked at Apple, and then myself, I've done nuclear energy research for the Canadian government as well, um, uh, north of Ottawa. Right uh, we really grew our passion for um, clean tech and electric mm -hmm. vehicles. So yeah. for me personally, um, getting into this um, energy space, um, when I was working at the Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, um, two hours north of Ottawa, um, this was in 20, uh, September 2018, um, a tornado hit Ottawa. So they were out of power for four hours, which is pretty long for a big city. Mm -hmm. um, but being connected to their grid, we were out of power for 24 hours. And um, that was shocking as somebody that came, comes from Vancouver and you know our outages last for 30 minutes. Really. Yeah. Um, and then I asked around the locals, and this was like a local town of um, they claimed 3,000 people, but it was probably closer to 1,000, mm -hmm. 1,500. And 
And the people who grew up there said, oh yeah, this is like a short outage for us. Like yearly, we experience up to a week in outages. Um, and, and the worst that they've even heard were, um, especially as you go a little bit more north too, um, two whole weeks without power. And that That's was extreme. That's extreme. Yeah. Even, even the last uh, storms that they've got, Exactly. Um, I think it was a couple weeks. Yeah, and I just didn't realize like Canadians experienced that, right? And mm -hmm. if Canadians two hours away from our capital experienced that, you could just think about like other countries that aren't as fortunate as we are. So that really instilled the passion in myself, but also mm -hmm. our team um, to solve this issue. And the first part is one, uh, to make sure that every human has access to clean, reliable power. Mm -hmm. um, but then the other aspect is with our passion and in electric vehicles, we really saw this problem. Um, mm -hmm. It's really great that we're transitioning into electric vehicles and decarbonizing transport. But yeah. um, people always say that there's a caveat, right? Like, oh yeah, EVs are great, but what happens to the battery at end of life? And we yeah. dug in deeper and, and we yeah. saw that there's a problem and, and that we can definitely uh, address that. Well, that's what makes EVs unique out of all the, the product life cycles uh, because it has this interim period um, you know, where it has a natural life and, and with the battery and it could be used, it can be uh, repaired in many instances, uh, but it's not all of a sudden then to recycle. It has this, what we call a second life, which is often referred to it, and that is where secondary energy storage uh, really comes into play. Exactly. So why don't you describe, what is Moment Energy's role in this second life market? Yeah, so, um we're lucky to say that we're one of the few companies that actually does the repurposing. So like we create the product from the EV. So to talk about the whole value stream, um, typically when uh, the EV reaches end of life and um, the countries that we can really look towards are, are for example, Norway, where half mm -hmm. of all vehicles on the road are electric already. Yeah. They're really where North America will be another, let's say 20, 30 years, right? And, yeah. um, so, and then in Europe and in Asia countries, a lot of the EVs have already reached end of life. And mm -hmm. what typically happens is in those countries, it's already mandated by law that the automaker has to take responsibility of the end of life EV battery. So the consumer- In, in Europe you're talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah half, in all, half of all EU countries especially. Yeah, well, it's coming here. We'll, we'll touch on that in a yeah, bit here. Yeah, it's sure. probably coming to BC as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, with them, um, the automaker then says, okay, consumer, just send the vehicle back to the dealership. The vehicle is then sent to the dealership and uh, so that the consumer doesn't have to pay for the recycling or anything like that. And then they will send the vehicle and the battery to the end of life facility. And what they'll do is they'll take the battery from the pack bottom of the vehicle, so at the pack level. Mm -hmm. um, and then within the pack, you know, depending on the automaker, so Nissan might have hundreds of modules and the Nissan LEAF modules are quite easy to Google for, but they're like laptop size for the first couple generations. But mm -hmm. you know, the European ones, they're more like table type size modules and there may be seven of them right. in a whole pack. Um, so they will disassemble it at the module level and then they'll test. And when they test the batteries, they'll say, okay, these ones are good for repurposing. Mm -hmm. um, these ones are not good. So the not good ones, they uh, claim that they recycle and hopefully they do recycle, um, especially for the environment. And then the good ones are sent to a moment. And at okay. moment, we essentially uh, will take in, well, the science shows that you can use any battery that's above 50% state of health um, is the guideline um, for repurposing. Mm -hmm. But we have a pretty big supply, um, an overwhelming amount. So we, so you don't have a shortage then no, for, for batteries? No, no, no. We, oh, okay. Yeah, we, we have like hundreds of megawatt hours of, of batteries that we don't know 
Like okay. we, we don't have the facility to essentially manufacture for her. And that's the next stage of our company, essentially, to commercialize faster. Right. So you are are they are they stored at your facility in Fort Coquitlam or are they off site or Yeah, so um, essentially we like we order them. Um, the automakers are holding on to them right now. Um, mm -hmm. and then when we have already deployed a bunch of more projects and our inventory of batteries are getting low, then we'll ask for yeah. the batteries to be sent to us. So we do store an inventory of batteries, but not the whole right. you know, hundreds of megawatt hours. So, so how does this, so, so what are the dealers that you do buy from right now? Are you buying from all the OE manufacturers? Yeah, so we're only paying some auto manufacturers for mm -hmm. batteries. Some of them are giving the batteries to us completely for free. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, like, um, like Nissan and, and um, the other OEMs that we're working with that do the testing and disassembly, we are willing to pay for them um, because mm -hmm. one, they ensure a certain standard, right? Like we, get, we tell them don't give us any batteries below 80% state of health, they'll ensure that. Um, they will disassemble from the pack level to the module level, that's cost that we would have to incur ourselves otherwise, so we would also be willing to pay for that as well. And um, yeah, so we, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it works, but there are some automakers where They'll send the battery packs directly from the dealership to us. They don't do testing. They don't do disassembly, and that's when we get the batteries for free. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, all together. Yeah. So, so what you do is you take the individual modules mm -hmm. and you build yeah. a wholly separate pack. Exactly. Out we, of that. Yeah. So one of our units is uh, 60 kilowatt hours. So what, what um, that essentially, in perspective, is a Tesla Powerwall is nine to 14 ish kilowatt hours. Mm -hmm. So it's 60 is already pretty pretty high for a residential home. Uh -huh. um, now what it looks like is it's about a meter and a half tall, a bit over a meter wide, and then depth is about, um, you know, probably 50 centimeters-ish, yeah. uh, a couple feet and a half um, is the general guideline. And yeah, that can power, uh, well, so for example, we deployed um, off-grid uh, residential projects across Canada already, mm -hmm. and each one of them are 20 kilowatt hours. and um, so we can already power, you know, um, three of them uh, yeah. pretty easily with one of our yeah. building blocks, and we can yeah. stack them up into larger and larger systems. So what is the um, so uh, so obviously getting hold of the batteries not a problem. You they have a whole storage facility of them. What's the market now for that? Is, is there is there a huge demand? Good question. It's just so a matter of you. For Second Life, um, there, there are two types of players out there. Um, mm -hmm. We're one of the main ones that actually have such a diverse array of um, suppliers and partners, mm -hmm. while um, other companies would only mainly be working with Nissan. Um, so we, we, we build flexibility. We're able to take in batteries from any auto manufacturers to key because we don't want to be supply constrained. Um, now, there is a high demand for Nissan LEAF batteries, um, mm -hmm. not, even, not only just from uh, companies like Moment, but also there's a whole do-it-yourself market um, out there where... Well, yeah, yeah, that's um, so. I will touch on. I, I do want to get to that to the do-it-yourself. Or so is it? Is there a high demand, uh, or is there, is there a lot of Nissan Leaf just uh, just because uh, are these the first generation batteries yeah. that are, they're now out of warranty and yeah. they're being taken back to the to the dealer? Exactly. Uh, like the Nissan Leaf vehicles have been on the road for you know like over ten years now at this mm -hmm. point, and and majority of them have reached end of life. Um, Especially since Nissan Leafs, the first two generations, the cooling was not super great in the electric vehicle. Uh, the batteries degrade much quicker um, overall. Mm -hmm. So majority of the, these owners have been just trading in their vehicles or getting rid of their vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, now there's high demand as well because you know now it's not just industry kind of like we we're just saying. 
now there's also uh, the consumer market that is also trying to buy batteries from eBay. Um, is well, there's a lot of them. There, it's it's um, this is the do-it-yourselfer, and it's not it's not just that. It's in the salvage yards as well. Yeah. So is there um, do you see a potential? for the salvage, for the vehicle dismantlers then, is also playing a role in that supply chain? I think it's possible. That there's definitely some hurdles there. So okay. the very first, uh, yeah, we're very thankful to like local salvagers, for example, because our very first battery pack that we disassembled and we deployed were from you know, a local um, auto wrecker. Mm -hmm. We just bought the battery pack from them. So that's also how we learn about pricing and everything right. um, for the battery. Um, and, and how if we go to direct to Nissan themselves, not only have they done all that testing disassembly, like the prices are better um, as well. But um, with the auto wrecker, you just get it at the pack level. So you're gonna have to do your own disassembly. Um, and your own testing. Because uh, yeah, right now they're, they're not testing. It's a black box. Like you don't know what the quality of the battery is. Essentially, it's sort of as is, yeah. yeah. So you pay for something that you don't, you're not sure of. But there, there is, um, uh, now the main hurdle with auto wreckers taking responsibility and then maybe reselling it mm -hmm. um, is that you need a, for a company like Moment who will then take in the batteries, buy the batteries, and then repurpose them. We need certification essentially, and we need uh, and to get that certification, you essentially need um, how was that battery manufactured even before it went into the vehicle. And the auto wrecker won't have that information. Um, right. Typically, the people that has that information is the automaker themselves. Like the dealerships don't even have that information. Mm -hmm. It's the automaker corporations that will have it. So um, it's going to be very difficult if we today will go to an auto wrecker and buy the battery pack. It's going to be hard for us to commercialize that. It's commercializable if we deploy in some off-grid settings where maybe it's a you know off-grid homeowner and they own their own grid. Um, then it then it's fine. Sure, like they can say I don't need that UL certification stamp um, or safety certification stamp. It's I'm okay with that. But if you ever have ambitions to, you know, we can install batteries into this building, and then BC Hydro for BC Hydro to not be mad at us, you need that UL certification stamp. And it's pretty hard for you to do that if you're buying from. So, so how big of a problem do you think this w will be, especially as the do-it-yourselfer market grows? Yeah. Um, how about that guy who? Well, he has the, the summer home or the summer cabin, and he's hooking up his batteries up to his solar panel, and yeah. hopefully he knows what he's doing. Yeah. But as this grows, just your common person thinking, I'm just going to create a storage shed in my backyard. Yeah. How big of a problem is this? And do we need regulation enforcing that certification or some kind of an oversight? Uh, that's, actually, <laughs> that's a really good question. So we're actually a part of um, the... DIY power walls, what they call them, Facebook yeah. groups. And yeah. um, that's how we found our first couple projects, too. Um, now, th th those groups, they're very intelligent, which is awesome. Like, for example, um, even just that community of a couple thousand, like, they, they have a lot of great technical expertise, and they also advise each other, like, hey, what you have in your shed, like, some people like to take pictures of their, the systems that they made, and then a lot of them will pounce right on that and say, like, hey, you're missing, like, a battery management system. And the battery management system essentially controls the charging and discharging of the battery mm -hmm. for safety, right? That's why your phone has one or a laptop has a battery management system. So um, I'm, I'm very glad that that um, group exists so that they can advise people saying, like, hey, you're doing something very unsafe right now. Yeah. Uh, now, what's technically what can happen, though, is it's very hard to regulate off-grid individuals because a, a lot of these off-grid individuals typically want to move to the middle of a woods or move to the middle of an island for a reason. They don't like to live in like an urban area. Mm -hmm. And they own their own assets, right? They own their own house and all that. So the 
main negative um, of installing an uh, uncertified battery pack in your or doing it yourself is that you know you just got to be comfortable that you're voiding any insurance if you do have insurance, um, and you know that there's a good chance because maybe you are DIYer who's not an engineer that that shed could potentially catch on fire, um, which will happen again if you don't have a battery management system. Or someone's just going to get electrocuted. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we are dealing with extreme high voltage in some of these batteries. Well, exactly. So that's why we we definitely highly encourage people to come to professionals, which mm -hmm. is. Why I think we were very well received when we just joined these groups and we're like, hey, anybody want us to handle the, the repurposing for you guys? And um, yeah, like a, a lot of people might not have the technical expertise to repurpose EV batteries, but then right. they, now they trust us to do it for them. Right, so, so primarily you're just in the commercial batteries, but you potentially see a market in advertising, hey, let us install a battery pack in your home or your suburb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, some background is over the past couple of years, we have been de we've already deployed three off-grid residential projects. So um, it, it's literally you know mm -hmm. going on that Facebook back then. You know, as a startup, you're pretty scrappy, and you say, "Hey, yeah. anybody interested in a 20 kilowatt hour system?" And um, for them, a lot of people were interested because you know the current solution within off-grid DIYer um, uh, type individuals is that they have lead-acid batteries, um, and the problem with off-grid is that they draw a lot of power, and they will also use so much energy that they'll cycle the battery every day. So in other words, one cycle is one full charge and discharge is one cycle. And a lead-acid battery has only hundreds of cycles in it, mm -hmm. let's say 300, 600 cycles in it. So if you cycle it every day, the batteries, although you're promised 10 years of life, will only last a year. Or worst wow. case I've heard is due to um, drawing too much power from, from the battery, they damage right. it so much that it only lasted a month. Um, yeah. Now, that's where lithium batteries really are great quality uh, for mm -hmm. that because they have tens of thousands of cycles. Plus, they also um, have very high discharging and charging capabilities. Um, so it's very suitable for this off-grid market. Now, the reason why now we've moved more to commercial um, from yeah. away from the residential is, is mainly just to, it's just like startup business type work. It's, it's scalability. When you're a business and, uh, and you're trying to create the same product rather than a custom product per home, but you're trying to create the same product that's scalable, mm -hmm. it's much easier to do that in the commercial industrial market rather than in the off-grid residential. Because yeah. in the off-grid residential, we have had to tweak um, some things of the battery because you know some people use diesel, some people use only solar, some people use hydrokinetic energy, um, or some people install kilns in their yeah. <laughs> off-grid homes. And yeah, so. So how long will your repurposed batteries last? Good question. Um, so, of course, it definitely depends on how often you're cycling it. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, what we warranty for is seven years, um, which is pretty standard in the commercial industrial space. It's between seven to ten. Um, and uh, why we're comfortable at warrantying seven years is because, for example, Nissan has done their own studies. So they've um, taken a 60% state of health uh, mm -hmm. battery, which is on the average of 80, is on the lower end, right? Yeah. And they took um, uh, off-the-shelf new lithium very non-intelligent battery management system and plugged it in. And they cycled uh, the battery to death, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they got about seven and a half years worth of uh, cycles on it. Um, so um, that's why we're extremely confident in, you know, just because yeah. our, the batteries that we're deploying are 80, 85% state of health, so we can warranty for seven years. Um, but then it depends in the sense that if some applications don't cycle the batteries every day, right, some applications will cycle 
uh, especially in commercial industrial, you can actually cycle it 20 times a year uh, for you to get the most utility bill savings, for example, and that's just a whole <laughs> How, rabbit hole. So, so as a consumer of this product, of, of the repurposed battery, just like with my vehicle, how do I know what the state of health is going to be and when it's, oh. it's, it's done? The um, consumer can't, there's no good way for the consumer to know, um, yeah. unfortunately. It's the automakers that will, that are able to uh, do a lot of extensive testing to find out. But also there are other um, companies out there um, that, w that we know of that will do uh, testing. And they're, what they're trying to do is trying to plug in to, um, to the vehicle and help consumers determine the state of health of the battery we can do that the used market. We can do that with vehicles. How about with a repurposed battery though? So I, I, oh. I, I purposed uh, or I purchased a, a battery from Moment Energy and yeah, right. for my cabin or for my business or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, how, how, how do I test that? Like when do I know that, okay, that's, it's, it's beyond its warranty period, oh, its okay, state fine. of health is really depleted, yeah. is it just that, well, my lights won't work after a while or oh, nothing comes good. on? Yeah, how, do, good question. how do I know this? So, so with our product, we, we definitely have dashboards and everything that will okay. keep the customer, uh, one is like state of, like most important is state of charge, right? Like yeah. Knowing how much battery or energy you still have left. And right. um, if you're taking in solar energy, diesel energy, like we have the dashboards there for you. And, and through our calculations, we can determine the state of health for you and, and let you know. Though the consumer typically, like it doesn't really matter to the consumer too often um, mm -hmm. what the state of health is. Typically the consumer, just like an EV vehicle, they just want to care, they care about the state of charge or how much is the maximum uh, state of charge. Um, so for example, what that equivalent is range in a car, right? The, the range anxiety, which, yeah. which people have in a car, is there an equivalent to that for battery storage? Um, so probably less so, um, mainly because if, for example, the storage reaches, uh, you know, has lost capacity in the stationary storage application. Mm -hmm. um, it just means like if we're serving a utility bill, that we serve it a little bit less in terms of energy. Or when we're dispersing that energy into the, the building, we just tell the customer, hey, we can only uh, take in, you know, before it was 70 kilowatt hours of uh, usable capacity. Now it dropped to 65 kilowatt hours after all these years. And, and the cus customer doesn't really uh, care about that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's more of a moment issue. If the capacity decreases, that essentially just means that, hey, we need um, to either replace this battery or um, we need intelligent algorithms to help with the customer's problems. Yeah. 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 Can anyone buy a repurposed battery? Can I go to Moment Energy and show up your front counter and yeah, you could. buy yeah, batteries? Yeah. <laughs> you technically could. Now, like for example, we typically get the question like, oh, um, how about data center or backup power? Like, um, could we just buy your battery for backup power? And we say, yeah, sure, you could. Like if Amazon um, decides to buy, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of our batteries for backup power, we say, sure, but the thing is, we personally, as engineers, we think that's a little bit of a waste um, uh, for that application. Because backup power, maybe Amazon's data center gets out of, like, has a blackout for like 15 minutes once a year, right? And, you know, again, EV batteries or lithium batteries typically have tens of thousands of cycles. So if you're going to only cycle it once a year versus you have so many cycles, like, it's probably better value for that customer to, to use the battery for, for an application that will cycle the battery a lot. Yeah. So we have to move away from fossil fuels. Yeah. Uh, we have ambitious targets. I think it's 2050. Um, but there's an abundance of power, uh, the sun. 
I think it, what is it on a continuous, is it 173,000 terawatts, mm -hmm. um, which is more more than enough than what we actually consume on a daily basis. And then there's there's hydro and there's there's wind. So obviously the problem is capturing that. Mm -hmm. You know we need solar panels, but then storing it. Yeah. Do you think by 2050 we'd be able to produce and mine enough lithium? to be able to build and manufacture enough batteries that there could be a battery pack in every home and every business? <laughs> Great question, yeah. So um, to address actually the first part, it's we've, we definitely believe that it takes a village. Um, there's many different types of energy storage as well, right? There's lithium is what we're focused on, but mm -hmm. um, even for us, we do plan on branching out to many different chemistries as well. Um, for example, zinc batteries are popping up, solid state batteries are popping up. Mm -hmm. You start hearing about air, um, uh, air batteries as well. And, and graphite. And, yeah, graphite, exactly. Graphite now, and, yeah. and we believe that each battery has its own best use case. So for us uh, and lithium batteries, the best use case is what we call a short duration market. So short duration means if you need a lot of power in a short amount of time, lithium is the best by far compared to any other energy storage, it's the best. Um, so typically, uh, what that means is a typical lithium battery can fully discharge you know, from 100% to zero in four hours. Right? That's, that's decently fast in the uh, engineering world. For us at EV batteries, we're aiming for that one hour. Um, so we can discharge even faster than traditional uh, lithium that's being used for building. Now, but then when you have zinc batteries, um, they're really great for that 10 to 20 hour application. Right? So like when you, you need to slowly discharge over the entire day rather than a short amount of time. And then you have bigger and bigger batteries like, um, uh, again, the, the air type batteries where they'll discharge over days and whatnot. So uh, we, we, yeah, we believe that 2050 we can, with a combination of all these differing energy storage, it's possible. Um, one hurdle though, at least for the lithium side of things, is all the battery material is going into EVs. Um, they're not going into stationary storage. We need EVs. Yeah, yeah the EVs are the priority. Yeah. So um, because of that, uh, which is great for the decarbonization of transport, it's not great for now commercial buildings like this are begging for energy storage, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then they just can't buy. So right now there are many companies that have announced like the new lithium providers, you know, they, they buy batteries just directly from China. There's not too much innovation there. And they just make large new lithium energy storage systems. They're sold out for the next three years. Um, which is where we're also seeing the opportunity, where um, by 2030, it's projected that there's going to be 200 to 300 gigawatt hours of end-of-life EV batteries per year of supply. So now that all of that lithium material and battery material is going to EVs, we can now divert that finally into a stationary storage, um, and then for another you know, uh, 10, 15 years, and then once that reaches end-of-life, throw that into recycling, recycling, and then... Um, Hopefully that goes back into EVs or any other type of energy storage. So are batteries the only sec way to store power? So I, I have heard some ideas, and I don't know how far-fetched they are. So one is a hydraulic method. So we have a, two pools of water, and of course, uh, when there's excess power, it pumps the water into another pool, mm -hmm. and then when you need it, gravity just takes it down and spins yeah, the turbines. Yeah. And, and then there's other these big towers, and uh, again, uh, when there's excess power, they raise these huge weights, and of course, yeah. when you need it, then you, you drop the weight. Are these just really far-fetched ideas? Or? <laughs> so actually, um, 
I, I like both ideas. Um, the gravity-fed ones, essentially the ones with the huge concrete columns, mm -hmm. that, that has uh, a lot of hurdles, mechanical hurdles to that. And there are a lot of more simpler ways to do it, but I'm certain that the engineers and, and innovators that are working on that have their reasons for why they think that that's the best idea. And yeah, one idea for the gravity-fed one is you pick up, when there's a time of excess power, you pick up these concrete columns and you keep stacking them into a tower, right? Or the opposite can happen where there's actually a huge underground tunnel, same with concrete tracks and everything, and mm -hmm. you can bring... Um, when there's excess power, you just bring the weights back up, and then when, when there's uh, power needed, you then let go, and then it'll slowly do the gravity drop back down. Um, uh, there are innovators there. I don't know how far they are along there. Uh, seems interesting. It always uh, sounds good in theory. Yeah, but yeah. the um, the sorry, the water one, hydro. Pump, yeah. It's called pumped hydro, uh -huh. and that's actually been in place for a while now. So it's been okay. pretty cool. Like for example, uh, on BC, uh, Vancouver Island, there's a camp called Strathcona. Um, Lodge and Park. I actually used to go there when I was in high school for um, summer camp too. And I, and I only just realized that they actually had a federal project that um, had created pump hydro. It was exactly the same thing that what you just said. So they have two ponds. Now the, there's variability there though because they're ponds. So depending on before that summer um, when they do use the power, how much rain um, actually filled up these ponds is actually how much of usable capacity they, they can transfer from this higher pond. And like you were saying, water, when they need power, water will flow through. There's a little turbine at the bottom, and then it'll power the facility. And then once there's a lot of power and they have solar, they'll pump it back up um, through gravity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's interesting. And, and yeah, of course, there are challenges there, right? Because yeah. every year, you actually don't know how much battery capacity you have. But um, I think that's been pretty well established already, yeah. Well, the, the optimism for the repurposing of batteries is that it takes the stress off the, 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 the peaks, um, the peak usage. Because a common thing that we hear, we hear it a lot on the EV-friendly channels from the, the so-called skeptics, yeah. is uh, we, we can never have a fully electric vehicle fleet because the grid can't handle it, mm, can't deliver enough power. Um, but I've read actually that batteries can solve a lot of that because it's, it's, it's about evening it, the energy out. Exactly, yeah. Um, so that's exactly what Moment's doing, especially with our on-grid um, on -grid type projects. So what we're really targeting for on-grid is uh, manufacturing, commercial industrial manufacturing buildings, EV charging infrastructure, commercial buildings. And um, throughout um, Canada, especially in um, Ottawa, uh, sorry, Ontario, um, Alberta experiences some of this, but Nova Scotia. And then in the US, it's the entirety of the East Coast, Texas, California, Nevada. Um, they essentially, the peak demand charges happen. And what that means is um, typically they're, they're daily peaks where there's typically one, a couple hours in the day around 5 or 6 p.m. when everybody's home from work and they draw, they turn on their TVs, they're cooking dinner, and they draw a lot of power. So the grid is the most stressed around those times, and that's why if we look at our utility bills, if you use a lot of power during those times, you're going to be charged more. Versus if you use power at 3 a.m., nobody's awake, so then that's the best time to... I guess charge right. your EV or run your uh, dishwasher. Right. Um, now there's an even greater problem called global demand charges. So rather than just within a day, it's just throughout the entire year. So in Ontario, for example, they have this phenomenon called the five peaks. And if you draw power during a two to four hour interval um, as a commercial industrial building during one of these peaks, uh, these peaks happen because the 
utility grid's like, oh my God, like we're about to black out because so many people are using power, they will charge you hundreds of thousands of dollars in utility bill fines just to try to disincentivize you from um, drawing from the grid. Mm -hmm. Now, what we can do is because these peaks last for two to four hours, right, or even shorter sometimes, one hour, we can install a battery into a manufacturing building. Mm -hmm. And so then, therefore, when a peak shows up, um, there are currently software systems that will predict when these peaks will come up. Um, but the problem is prediction only goes so far because they say, hey, a peak is coming up. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, what am I going to do? Turn off my facility for four hours? Right. So they can't do that. Um, so that's where our energy storage comes in. And we can allow them to totally cut off from the grid and we can discharge our batteries so that they can maintain operations while, while they're also not incurring these huge utility fines. Um, right. And that's exactly, for example, we just uh, secured a project with Ottawa Hydro. Mm -hmm. They bought four of our battery packs for that exact um, problem, um, charging electric vehicles, where in one neighborhood, when the first thing is apparently um, when one neighbor buys an EV, like there, are, it's, I don't know the exact stat, but like that's hundreds of percent more likely that your neighbors will start buying um, another yeah. EV as well, and everybody's following suit. And you know, when a neighborhood there are ten uh, people all charging their EVs at home at the same time, that neighborhood grid is also about to black out. Right. So uh, it's because the current transformers and infrastructures can't take that high power draw. So um, for Ottawa Hydro, rather than spending you know, millions of dollars in uprooting the transformers in the current infrastructure, you know, they, they spent a couple hundred thousands of dollars in to right. install a couple batteries to, again, during when everybody's charging their EVs, we can also discharge our batteries so that we can supplement yeah. the grid. Yeah, there, so there could be a lot of application for these uh, in parking lots and, and because when the power goes out and if it goes out for a long time, and one of the criticism is, uh, it's not like gas where you can still fill up on gas, um, you're stuck. Yeah. Um, but if we have that secondary power storage at EV charging stations. Yeah, exactly. And, and additional benefits, so for example, EV charging stations, same deal. Like when they're drawing too much power from the grid, they're going to get charged these utility fines as well. And then as, if you're an EV charging company, you lose all your, your revenues, essentially. It's mm -hmm. very hard for you to make any money at all. Um, another phenomenon that batteries can help with is DC fast charging. So, for example, um, when you're charging, like when I'm charging my EV at home, mm -hmm. I just use the 120 volt outlet outside, and it will take, you know, it says sometimes 24 hours to fully charge my EV because it's very slow. So that's level one charging. Yeah. And then level two charging is when you have 240 volts, and um, uh, you can then charge your entire EV in four hours, right, or six hours, um, which is great. But then for you to get that level three charging where it's you charge in 20 minutes, kind of mm -hmm. like a te um, Tesla supercharger, um, that's when you can actually use DC fast charging. So the reason why it's super slow for level one and two is because you take um, battery energy, right? Um, let's say, so it's DC energy from the uh, battery, mm -hmm. right? But you have to transfer AC energy from the wall, uh, mm -hmm. which is an alternating current, into DC energy. So that has a lot of loss, power losses as well. And then, uh, but, and then imagine you had a battery on site. So you have a battery uh, that's DC, discharges, uh, so converted to AC um, so that it's wall energy. And then you convert it back to DC. Right? That's very inefficient, and that will cause a lot of time in terms of charging. But if you imagine you just hooked up one battery to another battery. So DC to DC, there's yeah. nothing in between. That's how you can really charge in 20 minutes. And so, so that could be an application. Everyone could have DC charging at home. Uh, with That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, so, currently you're restricted to just a level one or level two. Yeah, exactly. And nobody has DC fast. That's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So BC has really come out ahead 
in the EV market, yeah. um, and we're leaders. I, I actually get a, a lot of phone calls from a, a lot of government uh, and uh, NGOs alike, and they're looking to BC. Mm -hmm. I said, well, how can we build a program here for our local area? Uh, did that influence you of where you were going to set up shop? Great question. <laughs> or is it just because of our great weather? Uh, it's probably because of great weather, yeah. Well, it's like the talent, I think. Um, so yeah. for us, uh, why we started in BC is it is the ecosystem in terms of clean tech. There's definitely a lot of work out there that needs to be done. Um, for example, the utility's not super progressive when it comes to uh, uh, taking in um, privatized renewable energy. Like um, a lot of times our utilities like to do it themselves, while others like um, out in Ontario, Alberta, and everything, they, they love privatized renewable energy because they believe that you know, we just need to create that ecosystem. But what's awesome is the talent here in BC. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about that. What, sure. um, because I go on your website and, uh, well, you're all engineers. Yeah. Is that the level of talent that you need? Or uh, could this work into a manufacturing process where it's a trade or yeah. two years of a technical college specialized in just this? How, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, that's actually extremely possible. So for, like, in, currently we're a team of 28, I think I, I kind yeah. of mentioned earlier. And, um, and you're all engineers? <laughs> no, not, not all of us are engineers, yeah. So um, a lot of us are. Um, and we're all from, like, local universities, you know, UBC, SFU, UVic, um, um, even BCIT as well. And, and for us, what, there are many different strands. Like, we, they're, just, they're not engineers, not just engineers, but also business development individuals. We, mm -hmm. you know, we hire from solder, BD, it doesn't really matter, um, as well as uh, technicians. So we, um, we're really trying to build a manufacturing ecosystem here in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, although many people, uh, Vancouver doesn't have a huge, great rep in terms of trying to manufacture locally, but we're, we're trying to uh, beat that, um, th that uh, I guess, stereotype. So mm -hmm. we, we're hiring a lot of manufacturing staff um, as well locally um, in our Port Coquillum facility. Um, okay, so, interesting. Um, these are individuals that, yeah, maybe they did go to a specialized school like two-year course at BCIT uh, for battery technology um, manufacturing, or they don't actually have to even have worked in battery technology, but we, they just have a really good track record in terms of electrical or mechanical type um, assembly and work. Could somebody with automotive experience who is used to working on EVs yeah. or has experience, could th 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 those skills translate? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, not that I, we don't want you to steal because we're having <laughs> a hard enough time attracting labor into the automotive service technician. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, that's interesting. So you mentioned about Europe, uh, and I know Europe is very big on extended producer responsibility, or EPR, and, and, and you know that's where uh, the producers are responsible for that end of life. Um, do you see that as being help or hindrance here in BC when so, it comes to Second Life? Good question. So like if we implemented that in BC um, as well. Um, we... We do, I mean, so far, especially with our, um, our partners in Europe, we see it as a help, um, mainly because uh, we, like, we don't want to take the whole, um, go to an auto wrecker and, and, and taking in all these batteries, doing our own testing and trying to find a path that way. We prefer to work with the automaker. And we see that when the automaker um, is responsible for the EV batteries, that they're typically going towards Second Life rather than just recycling. Would, would you want to see working with the auto dismantling industry if, if they had a program that they could do their own testing and have some quality assurance? But I think it would be extremely helpful, yeah. yeah. 
Um, the, the main hurdle for that assembly, for us to be able to repurpose their batteries, is if they got UL certification there, uh, which is what we're working on. Okay. Um, now, that doesn't mean that um, uh, maybe they don't want to work on UL certification, right? And, and to talk about a little bit of that, what, what's required in UL certification is the test, uh, testing, sorting, and grading of batteries once they reach in, in a certain facility, the manufacturing process, and then once that, that's all been approved by UL, by UL certified process, then you have a certified product that you can hook up right. to the grid. Um, now, um, right now, we're actually aiming to be the first in North America to ever get the certification. So we are handling a lot of that. But you know, if there are partners that will um, take, let's say, ICBC, or sorry, that's actually difficult. <laughs> to take, let's just say, like take um, end-of-life vehicle batteries um, and dismantle it for us, at least, and mm -hmm. take away that, that headache, then I think we'd definitely be, right. be good there if they didn't want to do the whole UL certification. It, well, it might be very onerous for a, a, a smaller recycling facility to go through that process. But, but it, could there be like a, a UCL light that could be incorporated into our own EV-friendly certification that would meet the standards uh, and be practical for those facilities to attain? Uh, maybe in terms of uh, that, it's if the facilities have, are able to do testing on the batteries, mm -hmm. for example, just determine the state of health, I mean, the, the easiest thing without getting, needing to go through the whole UL process is probably, um, and that's useful to a company like Moment, is like at least tell us what the state of health of the battery is. Yeah. Um, and then and that stamp could technically be, you know, oh, this battery's above, hey, Eddie, this battery's above 70% state of health. Um, do you want it? Um, I think that and then exactly. it has that stamp. And then it's worth 70%. it for you to purchase and go pick it up or to transport it, exactly. it yeah. which, which is costly as well. Yeah. So with EPR, one of the criticisms from the dealers, the OEs, is, um, look, we've, we'll accept EPR. We built this battery for use in a car. But why should we be held responsible if it's taken out of the car and used for a battery pack? Good question. So if we had EPR, is that something then you, would, you could say, OK, OE, I'll take it from here. I'm responsible for the battery from yes. here end. Yeah, the answer is yes, yeah. Because oh, okay. um, right now where the dealerships are, that, that we know are uh, talking about is um, they essentially don't even want to recycle. Like they just don't even want to take that battery back in because they know it's a liability to the dealership mm -hmm. and to our, I guess, corporate um, auto, insert automaker name. Um, so for, for us, that's what, exactly what we do. We say, just send us the battery and we'll take responsibility of the battery. And that, they love that because then then they're off the hook for that, you know, couple thousand dollar um, recycling bill as well. Yeah. And they don't actually have to worry about, like, they, to them, they don't worry about, you know, if the battery's going to get recycled or if the battery gets repurposed. It doesn't matter to them. It's it's just out of their own hair at this point. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, let's talk about some final thoughts. Yeah. Uh, where are we going to be in five to ten years in terms of, is every household going to have a battery storage? <laughs> Are we even there yet? A percentage? In the next five years, um, honest answer is probably not. <laughs> uh, that would be a great dream in the next uh, 10 years, probably, mm -hmm. um, where every single home has their own battery and it's like distributed energy, right? Um, when um, then even provinces that are not BC, um, but like provinces like in Alberta, for example, what they can do is arbitrage, right? Where you have your own solar panels, you have your own battery, you store power, and then when the utility is like, oh gosh, guys, like, um, 
it's 5 p.m., everybody's using power. And you're like, well, I got power in my battery pack. I'm going to start discharging my battery pack onto the grid. Then you get a bill. And you, people say, and then the utility says, here you go, you just earned money. I think that'd be a cool, um, cool way to, uh, for consumers to, one, uh, buy and sell energy. But also, two, is reliability, right? Power outages won't happen anymore. And then um, all these other benefits, like charging your EV extremely quickly, mm -hmm. are all different possibilities. Um, where we see, for example, um, uh, for us in the next five years, our goal is just to deploy, you know, ten, uh, well, oh man, a, a gigawatt hour of um, end-of-life EV batteries uh, as second-life batteries into commercial industrial facilities, um, where now the grid actually has a bit of an easier time um, with all this power draw. Because when I mentioned, you know, there are five peaks or five times in a year where people are drawing too much power and the utilities charging hundreds of thousands of dollars per occurrence, it's only going to get worse. If we stay stagnant, we didn't try to solve this problem at all, there's going to be a sixth peak, a seventh peak, an eighth peak, right? And, and for us as a society, we're just drawing more and more power. So one way to help us continually progress as a society, um, have power at, at our demand and, and really not overstress the grid is to have distributed energy storage for sure. Right. Yeah. So in terms of your company, Moment Energy, uh, where do you project you'll be in five? or even out 10 years. Yeah, for Quite sure. a long time. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the next five years, our goal is to hit uh, a gigawatt hour worth of uh, energy storage, which is uh, huge. <laughs> it's a, yeah. a lot amount. For example, New York is asking, I believe, for two to three gigawatt hours. So uh, you'll need a lot more engineers. <laughs> yeah, we'll need a lot more engineers. Uh, we'll be expanding, for sure. Like, Kind of like you were mentioning, we, we really love British Columbia. So. Yeah. Um, hopefully, especially with the additional support from the government and whatnot, we, we want to create that ecosystem. You know, uh, Microsoft has Seattle. We want Vancouver to be um, our, our, our champion um, municipality and manufacturing. So we, um, our goal over the next 10 years, so by 2030, is to make sure that every single battery is repurposed. Usable battery is repurposed from and after the EV. And how we do that is it might not necessarily mean that we're the ones uh, uh, directly Remanufacturing these batteries, but especially with the bat technology that we can license out, we can enable more companies to repurpose as well. Right. Um, so they can, we can all be manufacturing. And, and, and you see a lot more players coming into this yes. space in the coming years. For sure. Uh, I mean, again, 200 to 300 gigawatt hours a year of end of life battery supply, where like a single recycler can't handle it, a single moment can't handle it. It's going to be a huge market. We're, we're really at, at, at just the beginnings of a, a huge new industry. Absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, if somebody wants to learn a little bit more uh, about Moment Energy, are, are, you, are, you, uh, are you going to be up at the BCIT Evolution event in September? Uh, good question. Uh, maybe. Okay. Go reach out to them. <laughs> um, for us, um, you can find us at momentenergy.ca or momentenergy.com. Okay. Um, we're constantly hiring. We're hiring more technicians, engineers, a manufacturing lead um, are, are all um, aspects. We're also... Um, yeah, you can find us on our socials, like LinkedIn. Um, you, you, Facebook as well? We, we yeah. Facebook. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll check you out and, uh, and search for us uh, for EV Friendly yeah, or our, our YouTube uh, and Facebook. Yeah. Eddie, it's been a great, uh, a great pleasure talking with you today. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, um, please check us out on uh, the EV Friendly Facebook and YouTube and like and subscribe. And for those that can't uh, watch a full podcast, check out EV Friendly On The Go, our audio podcast, available wherever you download your podcast. Mm -hmm.